Good day and welcome to the Apple Q2 FY 2021 earnings conference call. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, for opening remarks and introductions, I'd like to turn the call over to Teja Scala, Director, Investor Relations and Corporate Finance. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon and thank you for joining us. Speaking first today is Apple CEO Tim Cook, and he'll be followed by CFO Luca Maestri. After that, we'll open the call to questions from analysts. Please note that some of the information you'll hear during our discussion today will consist of forward-looking statements, including, without limitation, those regarding revenue, gross margin, operating expenses, other income and expense, taxes, capital allocation, and future business outlook, including the potential impact of COVID-19 on the company's business results of operation. These statements involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results or trends to differ materially from our forecast. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in Apple's most recently filed annual report on Form 10-K and the Form 8-K filed with the SEC today, along with the associated press release. Apple assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking statements or information which speak as of their respective dates. I'd now like to turn over the call to Tim for introductory remarks. Thanks, Tejas. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for joining the call today. Apple is proud to report another strong quarter, one where we set new March quarter records for both revenue and earnings, besting our year-ago revenue performance by 54%. Reflecting both the enduring ways our products have helped our users meet this moment in their own lives as well as the optimism consumers seem to feel about better days ahead, we set new March quarter records in every geographic segment, and success was broadly distributed across our product categories. Mac and services delivered all-time record results, and we set new March quarter records for iPhone and wearables home and accessories. To provide some color on our results, let's turn to our product categories. We saw very strong performance for iPhone, which grew 66% year-over-year, driven by the strong popularity of the iPhone 12 family. With unmatched 5G capability, the best camera system ever in an iPhone, and advanced durability from Ceramic Shield, this family of devices is popular with both upgraders and new customers alike. And just last week, we unveiled an all-new purple finish for iPhone 12 and 12 mini. As has been the case throughout the pandemic, iPad and Mac continue to be critically important tools for our customers. Over the past year, tens of millions of iPads and Macs have been deployed to help students learn, creators create, and to enhance remote work in all of its forms. This has helped iPad grow very strong double digits to its highest March quarter revenue in nearly a decade. On Mac, fueled by the M1, we set an all-time revenue record continuing the momentum for the product category. In fact, the last three quarters for Mac have been its three best quarters ever. Last week, both iPad and Mac took a big step forward. We debuted a radically redesigned brand new iMac designed around M1's unmatched capabilities, and we've brought M1 to iPad for the first time in a new iPad Pro with 5G capability and a liquid retina XDR display. It was a quarter of sustained strength for wearables, home, and accessories, which grew by 25% year over year. 
Apple Watch is a global success story, and the category set March quarter records in each geographic segment, thanks to strong performance from both Apple Watch Series 6 and Apple Watch SE. It's an exciting and busy period ahead for wearables, home, and accessories with the launch of the next generation Apple TV 4K and our newest accessory, AirTag. AirTag builds on the powerful and incredibly useful Find My experience, helping users privately and securely keep track of the items that matter most to them. Third-party accessories and products can also make use of the Find My network, guaranteeing a great experience no matter what products you choose to use. Turning to services, we achieved growth of 27% year-over-year and set new records for services in each of our geographic segments. We continue to enhance and improve our current service offerings from Apple Music to Apple News while continuing to launch new services that enhance our customers' lives. Just last week, we introduced Apple Card Family, which reinvents how you can share credit cards and build credit together. We also announced Apple Podcast Subscriptions, a global marketplace for listeners to discover premium content from their favorite creators and storytellers. While we're on the topic of services, in many ways, this quarter showed the unique value to customers created by Apple's belief in the deep integration of hardware, software, and services. Across our products and throughout our software ecosystem, we continue to deploy industry-leading new tools to protect users' fundamental right to privacy. In addition to the App Store privacy nutrition labels that we discussed on last quarter's call, we're proud to have launched the full implementation of app tracking transparency. This powerful yet simple idea gives users a choice over how their data is used and shared across the apps that they love and use every day. No matter what device you enjoy it from, it is a milestone period for Apple TV+, Plus, racking up many new award nominations and wins, including its first Oscar nominations. Ted Lasso, in particular, has been recognized with a multitude of awards and nominations, including, most recently, an AFI Program of the Year recognition, Writers Guild of America Awards, and a clean sweep at the Critics' Choice Awards. Apple TV Plus also continues to be a place where we can tell stories that matter and lift up important voices and experiences like our new upcoming content partnership with Malala or our latest original documentary special, The Year the Earth Change, narrated by the legendary David Attenborough and released to commemorate Earth Day. This is, of course, just one example of how Apple lives its values and operationalizes the idea that to whom much is given much is expected. To begin with our environmental efforts, just last week we marked a milestone Earth Day on multiple fronts. In addition to the progress we've made in our own efforts to achieve our pledge of a net zero carbon footprint by 2030 across our entire supply chain and use of our products, we're proud to play a role in the growing ripple of change taking place across the private sector. As of this month, 110 of our suppliers have joined us in our renewable energy commitment, and we will bring online nearly 8 gigawatts of new clean energy, the equivalent of taking 3.4 million gas-powered vehicles off the road each year. Through Apple's $4.7 billion in green bonds and related efforts, we've supported transformative environmental projects around the world, 
from clean energy initiatives in China to two of the world's largest onshore wind turbines in Denmark to a 180-acre solar project outside Reno, Nevada, and many more. We're also keenly focused on how this wave of green innovation can lead to equitably shared prosperity. Through our new $200 million Restore Fund, we're helping local and rural communities around the world build sustainable industries around working for us, creating opportunities and removing up to 1 million metric tons of carbon from the atmosphere every year. And here in the United States, we started a green impact accelerator investing and supporting minority-owned businesses at the forefront of environmental fields. As we look forward to WWDC, we're taking new steps to foster, to support and foster the unmatched community of developers we work with here in the United States and around the world. I'm particularly excited about our inaugural entrepreneur camp for black founders and developers. Building on the success of our entrepreneur camp program, which we began in 2019, this program gives this profoundly innovative community of developers the chance to develop next-level technical skills through hands-on technology labs, and with our partners at Harlem Capital, it also shares insights and mentorship on building and scaling an app business. We were proud to announce that we have expanded and accelerated our commitment to the U.S. economy. Over the next five years, we will invest $430 billion, creating 20,000 jobs in the process. The investments will support American innovation and drive economic benefits in every state, including a new North Carolina campus and job-creating investments in innovative fields like silicon engineering and 5G technology. Looking forward, whether you're running a business or just hoping to see family again after more than a year, it's tempting at this moment to let hope about the end of the COVID-19 pandemic outstrip clear-eyed realism about the challenges we still face. In many places around the world, new waves of infections, driven by even more infectious variants of the virus, are driving new lockdowns. Instead of simply assuming that the end is in sight, we at Apple are doing our part to make it a reality. Beginning with an enduring and uncompromising commitment to the health and safety of our teams, and extending well beyond our walls into the communities where we work. We also want to do everything we can to connect users to life-saving vaccinations that are in ever greater supply. Through Apple Maps, for example, we now showcase vaccine site locations here in the United States, building on our maps of testing locations in many countries around the world. It's worth remembering, for much more than financial reasons or year-ago compares, just how we felt at this time last year when everything we knew had to change. Planes sat grounded. Entire business districts were empty and silent. People left groceries or care packages sitting in the garage or in the hall overnight in recognition of all that we didn't know and therefore had to imagine. Thanks to researchers and scientists, doctors and nurses, everyone who can put a shot in an arm and even just check a name off a list, we have reached new days of hopeful resolve. Our work's not done, but as I said a year ago, while we can't say for sure how many chapters are in this book, we can have confidence that the ending will be a good one. With that, I'll hand things over to Luca. Thank you, Tim. Good afternoon, everyone. We are extremely pleased to report record results for our March quarter. 
despite continued uncertainty in the macroenvironment. We've been operating in new ways for over a year, and we could not be more proud of the way our team continues to execute and innovate at unprecedented levels. Our revenue reached a March quarter record of $89.6 billion, an increase of over $31 billion, or 54% from a year ago. We grew very strong double digits in each of our product categories, with all-time records for Mac and for services, and March quarter records for iPhone and for wearables, home, and accessories. We also set new March quarter records in every geographic segment, with growth of at least 35% in each one of them. Products revenue was a March quarter record of $72.7 billion, up 62% over a year ago. As a result of this level of sales performance and the unmatched loyalty of our customers, our installed base of active devices reached a new all-time record in each of our major product categories. Our services set an all-time record of $16.9 billion, growing 27% over a year ago. We established new records in each geographic segment and in most service categories. I will provide more details about the performance of our services business later. Company gross margin was 42.5%, up 270 basis points from last quarter, driven by cost savings, a strong mix, and favorable foreign exchange. Products gross margin was 36.1%, growing 100 basis points sequentially, also thanks to cost savings and effects, partially offset by seasonal loss of leverage. Services gross margin was 70.1%, up 170 basis points sequentially, mainly due to a different mix. Net income of 23.6 billion, diluted earnings per share of $1.40, and operating cash flow of 24 billion were all March quarter records by a wide margin. Let me get into more detail for each of our revenue categories. iPhone revenue set a March quarter record of 47.9 billion, growing 66% year over year, as the iPhone 12 family continued to be in high demand. Performance was consistently strong across the world as we grew strong double digits in each geographic segment and set March quarter records in most markets we track. Thanks to the exceptional loyalty of our customer base and strength of our ecosystem, our active installed base of iPhones reached a new all-time high. In the U.S., the latest survey of consumers from 451 Research indicates customer satisfaction of over 99% for the iPhone 12 family. Turning to services, we reached an all-time revenue record of $16.9 billion with all-time records for the App Store, cloud services, music, video, advertising, and payment services. Our new service offerings, Apple TV+, Apple Arcade, Apple News+, Apple Card, Apple Fitness Plus, as well as the Apple One bundle, continue to scale across users, content, and features, and are contributing to overall services growth. The key drivers for our services business all continue to move in the right direction. First, our install base growth has accelerated and reached an all-time high across each major product category. Second, 
the number of both transacting and paid accounts on our digital content stores reached a new all-time high during the March quarter, with paid accounts increasing double digits in each of our geographic segments. Third, paid subscriptions continue to show strong growth. During the March quarter, we added more than 40 million paid subs sequentially, and we have now reached more than 660 million paid subscriptions across the services on our platform. This is up 145 million from just a year ago, and twice the number of paid subscriptions we had only two and a half years ago. Finally, we're adding new services that we think our customers will love, while also continuing to improve the breadth and quality of our current service offerings. For example, Apple Arcade launched its biggest expansion yet, adding incredibly fun games to the catalog, including new exclusive arcade originals, along with two entirely new categories, App Store Greats and Timeless Classics. Apple Pay continues to expand geographically, launching in Mexico and in South Africa, bringing our payment service to six continents. Wearables Home and Accessories grew 25% year-over-year to $7.8 billion, setting new March quarter revenue records in every geographic segment. Apple Watch continues to extend its reach, with nearly 75% of the customers purchasing Apple Watch during the quarter being new to the product. We are very excited about the future of this category and believe that our integration of hardware, software, and services uniquely positions us to provide great customer experiences in this category. Next, I'd like to talk about Mac. We set an all-time revenue record of $9.1 billion, up 70% over last year, and grew very strongly in each geographic segment, with all-time revenue records in Europe and rest of Asia-Pacific, and March quarter records in the Americas, Greater China, and Japan. This amazing performance was driven by the very enthusiastic customer response to our new Macs powered by the M1 chip. iPad performance was also outstanding, with revenue of $7.8 billion, up 79%. We grew very strongly in every geographic segment, with an all-time record in Japan and a much quarter record in the rest of Asia-Pacific. Both Mac and iPad are incredibly relevant products for our customers, in the current working and learning environments, and we are delighted that the most recent surveys of U.S. consumers from 451 Research measured customer satisfaction at 91% for Mac and 94% for iPad. With this level of customer satisfaction, and with around half of the customers purchasing Mac and iPad during the quarter being new to that product, the active install base for both products continues to grow nicely and reach new all-time highs. In the enterprise market, customers across many industries are accelerating their adoption of iPhone 12 and 5G as a key platform for the future of their business. Delta Airlines, for example, is putting iPhone 12 and 5G connectivity into the hands of flight attendants so they can provide the best passenger service possible as air travel rebounds. Open Reach in the UK has started equipping tens of thousands of field engineers with iPhone 12 to speed up their deployment of broadband services to homes around the country. And UC Health, a large healthcare provider in Colorado, 
was able to reduce per patient vaccination time from three minutes to only 30 seconds, largely by moving from PC stations to iPhones. This has allowed their staff to rapidly scan and register new patients and vastly increase their daily vaccination capacity. Let me now turn to our cash position. We ended the quarter with over $204 billion in cash plus marketable securities. We issued $14 billion of new term debt and retired $3.5 billion of term debt, leaving, leaving us with total debt of almost $122 billion. As a result, net cash was $83 billion at the end of the quarter. This strong position allows us to continue to invest confidently in our future while also returning value to our shareholders. We are innovating and investing at an unprecedented pace, including accelerating our investment in the United States with our new commitment to contribute more than 430 billion and 20,000 jobs to the country over the next five years. As we continue to execute at an extremely high level, we were also able to return nearly $23 billion to shareholders during the March quarter. This included $3.4 billion in dividends and equivalents and $19 billion through open market repurchases of 147 million Apple shares. We continue to believe there is great value in our stock and maintain our target of reaching a net cash neutral position over time. Given the confidence we have in our business today and into the future, our board has authorized an additional $90 billion for share repurchases. We're also raising our dividend by 7% to $0.22 cents per share, and we continue to plan for annual increases in the dividend going forward. As we move ahead into the June quarter, I'd like to review our outlook, which includes the types of forward-looking information that Tejas referred to at the beginning of the call. Given the continued uncertainty around the world in the near term, we are not providing revenue guidance, but we are sharing some directional insights, assuming that the COVID-related impacts to our business do not worsen from what we are seeing today for the current quarter. We expect our June quarter revenue to grow strong double digits year over year. However, we believe that the sequential revenue decline from the March quarter to the June quarter will be greater than in prior years for two reasons. First, keep in mind that due to the later launch timing and strong demand, iPhone only achieved supply demand balance during the March quarter. This will cause a steeper sequential decline than usual. Second, we believe supply constraints will have a revenue impact of three to four billion dollars in the June quarter. We expect gross margin to be between 41.5% and 42.5%. We expect OPEX to be between 11.1 and $11.3 billion. We expect OINE to be around 50 million and our tax rate to be around 14.5%. Finally, reflecting the approved 7% dividend increase I just mentioned, today our board of directors has declared a cash dividend of 22 cents per share common stock, payable on May 13, 2021, to shareholders of record as of May 10, 2021. With that, let's open the call to questions. Thank you, Luca. We ask that you limit yourself to two questions. 
Operator, may we have the first question, please? Thank you. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure that your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. We would like to ask you once again that if you to please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up before re-entering the queue. We'll take our first question from Shannon Cross with Cross Research. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Tim, I have sort of a big-picture question on iPhone. I'm just curious. There are so many different things happening in this, this uh, cycle, you know, 5G, pandemic. Um, how, how are you thinking about the opportunity for, uh, you know, refreshing the installed base and attracting new customers? And, you know, are you seeing lives shorten given some of the, uh, uh, you know, the programs that are being put out there by the carriers and by yourself? Just kind of maybe big picture if you can talk about what you're seeing in terms of, you know, iPhone uh, out there in the market. Thank you. Sure, Shannon. We saw uh, double-digit uh, increases on a year-over-year basis on both uh, the new to iPhone and upgraders. So, and in fact, in the March quarter, uh, there was actually a record number of, of upgraders for a, for a March quarter. And so uh, we, we like what we see. It's obviously the early days of 5G. Uh, different countries are in different uh uh, points, but penetration is still on a global level is still low at this point. And so a lot of the 5G uh, uh, in, in upgrades will be in front of us, not, not behind us. Uh, you see in uh, China, things have, have moved quickly to 5G. Uh, they're moving quickly in the United States. Uh, but a lot of the other regions are, are slower to adopt and slower to gain coverage in, in 5G. Okay. Um, thank you. And then, um, Luca, can you talk about gross margin? I mean, 42% is, is, is higher than it's been that I can kind of remember, actually, at this point. Um, so maybe if you talk about the, the drivers of, of gross margin, you know, and, and maybe if there were any offsets from, you know, higher component costs or, or the logistics costs that, that obviously were overshadowed by currency and other things. Thank you. Yes, Shannon. Yes, we did 42.5% during March, and we got it to similar, slightly lower levels for, for June. So for, for March, uh, we were up 270 basis points sequentially really driven by three major factors. Cost savings, which has been good for us during the cycle. A really strong mix, a strong mix on iPhone, but in general across all product categories, and that obviously was helpful. And foreign exchange, uh, sequentially, again, from December to March, was favorable 90 basis points, so that helped as well. Um, and so those are the, the three major factors there. As we transition into June, uh, as you know, that we, we will expect some level of deleverage, but that will be offset by cost savings. Uh, foreign exchange doesn't have much of an impact as we go from March to June. Thank you. Thanks, Shannon. Can we have the next question, yeah. please? Absolutely. We'll now take our next question from Amit Dariani with Evercore. Yep. Thank you for taking my question. I have two as well. Uh, 
you know, first one, just on services, um, you know, I think 90 days ago the expectation was that line item would decelerate a little bit into the March quarter. It turned out it actually accelerated for us. Uh, I'd love to just understand, you know, what do you think drove that acceleration specifically, and, you know, is mid-20% sort of the growth norm as we go forward for services? So, um, Amit, the, the, our services business did better than what we were expecting when we had the last call in January. Uh, it, it was stronger across the board. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that, you know, throughout COVID was that obviously digital services have done very well. And then we've had a couple of categories like Apple Care, because many of the points of sale and stores were closed and advertising because of the reduced economic activity that were negatively affected during COVID. During the March quarter, we've seen a return to growth on, on Apple Care, and, and obviously we've reopened a lot of the stores so during the course of the quarter, and advertising, obviously, uh, consumer sentiment has improved, and you know, advertising is coming back. And so the combination of these factors really uh, delivered this very, very strong performance uh, during, uh, during the March quarter. You know, as we look ahead, as you know, we don't provide specific guidance for our product categories, but in general, uh, I talked during our prepare remarks, I mean, there are a number of things that we always look at uh, around the services business, you know, how many new paid accounts do we have, what number of new subscriptions do we get? That, above all, is our install base continuing to grow? Are we adding new services? Are we improving the quality of the existing services? And so when we look at all these fundamental vectors of our services business, obviously we feel very good. We feel very good about it. Got it. That's helpful. And then, Tim, if I could follow up with you, um, you know, it seems like engagement with iPhones and Apple devices generally has gone up materially over the last 12 months, um, and I don't think replacement cycles, at least in the data we see, has shrunk or changed that much at the end of the day. Uh, I'm wondering, does that combination of increased usage, replacement cycles haven't changed, um, end up in, you know, iPhones potentially growing on a multi-year basis? Because naively, I would imagine if I'm using something more, I have to replace it more often. So love your perspective on it. Yeah, we're clearly seeing uh, strong performance in in both the new to iPhone or the switcher component and uh, upgraders, as I had mentioned before. And, and in fact, the upgrader was the the uh, best March quarter that we've ever had. In in and so that that speaks to what you're seeing. I think a lot. It, it's difficult with just this far into the cycle to make a statement about the cycle in general, because keep in mind that we just launched midway through the uh, Q1 period. And so we've only been uh, operating for, you know, four and a half months or so. Uh, but, but clearly we like what we see right now a lot. If you look at how the iPhone did around the world, we had – the top five models of smartphone in the U.S., the top selling, uh, the top two in urban China, uh, four out of the top five in Japan, uh, the top four in the U.K., and the top six in Australia. And so it was a uh, sort of across the board in, in some really key countries we did, we did re really, really well. Uh, I do think that the 
IG cycle uh, is is important, and uh, you know we're in the early days of it, frankly. Thanks, Amit. Can we have the next question, please? Absolutely. We'll take our next question from Katie Huberty from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Thank you. This was a pretty unbelievable quarter, and investors are going to ask about the sustainability of, of current demand trends, especially as you lap some of the benefits from COVID in areas like services and max later this year. So I know you don't guide beyond the, or, or provide an outlook beyond uh, the next quarter, but can you talk from a high level over the next year, which segments do you see the opportunity to maintain strong revenue growth versus where is it reasonable to assume there will be some digestion as consumers shift their spending priorities? Then I have a follow-up for Luca. Um, if, if you sort of look at the different products, uh, iPhone, I've already mentioned some of the, the great uh, momentum that we had there. Uh, keep in mind that the compare that we're running to uh, would be the the quarter, the Q2 of last year's, the, the quarter that uh, China would have entered a shutdown first, and then the rest of the world uh, uh, entered the shutdown in middle part of March. And so part of the, the growth is compare, is the comparison point. Uh, but that said, the, the results were fabulous across the board. The uh, shortages that Lucas spoke spoke about in the color that he provided on the on the future uh, affect primarily the iPad and the Mac. And so we'll have some challenges in there uh, and challenges meeting the, the demand that we've got. Uh, the, the demand feels very strong right now. Both on the Mac side, you have the combination of M1 and work from home and remote learning. And an iPad, you've got remote learning and work from home as well. And the, the product that we just announced is, is really killer, the iPad Pro with the M1 in it. And so there's a lot of, a lot of great things of the strength of the product cycle uh, in addition to the trends that, that we're seeing in the marketplace. And where the, this pandemic will end, uh, it, it seems like many companies will be operating in a hybrid kind of mode. And so it, it would seem that work from home and the productivity of working from home will, will remain uh, very critical. If you look at wearables, then the watch had a fabulous quarter. Uh, and I, I still think we're in the early innings on the watch. Uh, the, the number of new the people that are new to the watch is almost three out of four. And so this is a, uh, you know, a long way from, from being a mature market. And so, and then the services uh, by itself has uh, really accelerated. And uh, so all in all, we, we feel very, very good. And then, Luca, if I look at inventory plus vendor non-trade receivables, that grew only about 8% this quarter, which is a big deceleration from last quarter. Should we read into that as a leading indicator for 
how we should think about the, the revenue growth deceleration in, in the business as the world normalizes, or were there some supply disruptions during the quarter that, that caused you to drain inventory and create that tightness that you're talking about for June? Now, on, as you think about the June quarter, uh, Katie, I would point you to what we said in our prepared remarks around the two factors that will influence our normal seasonality, right? One is the fact that iPhone, we launched iPhone later than usual during this cycle, and so we reached supply-demand balance uh, only during the March quarter, which makes obviously the sequential decline steeper than usual, and then these three or four billion dollars of supply constraints that Tim just said, primarily on on iPad and Mac. So as you look at your model, and you obviously can look at our numbers that we've done in the past, I think you can you can try to to gauge to gauge that from a channel inventory standpoint. Um, we did what we normally do during uh, during a March quarter. So we reduced uh, inventory, as it's typical, on on iPhone. Um, we exited within our target range. So I would say that on the inventory side, uh, it was you know pretty straightforward. Obviously, uh, given that the supply constraints are on the iPad and the Mac, you know we wish we had more inventory of iPad and Mac, but uh, but this is all a function of high demand for all our products. Thank you. Thanks, Katie. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. We'll take our next question from Wamzi Mohan with Bank of America. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, Tim, your uh, content offerings are still at very compelling price points and You've seen other content providers, whether it be Spotify, Hulu, Netflix, all announce price increases recently. I'm just wondering how you're thinking about pricing as it pertains to your offering here, and if you could share any stats around the uptake of uh, TV Plus paid subs, uh, that would be great, and have a follow-up for Luca. Uh, TV Plus, let me start with TV Plus. TV Plus is going uh, very well. As you know, uh, the, the objective and the philosophy that we've had on TV Plus is to create high-quality original content and to be one of the most desired platforms for storytellers. And I, I see that happening uh, day by day as we sign uh, more shows and more storytellers, and, and including Malala, as I mentioned in my opening comments. Uh, to date, we've uh, received, uh, the Apple Originals have received 352 award nominations and had 98 wins. And this, you know, this is from Oscar nominations to Emmy Awards to Critic Choice Awards and, and all the rest. And we've got some shows that are, uh, have gotten sig significant, uh, buzz like Ted Lasso and The Morning Show and Defending Jacob and, and many others. And so we feel really good about uh, where we are. We're, we're not releasing uh, subscriber numbers, uh, but we feel good about where we are. Uh, in terms of other services and pricing, I don't have anything to announce today. Uh, we try to give the customer a great value, and uh, we feel that we're doing that in the, with the prices that we've got, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll see where we go from here. 
Okay, thanks, Tim. As my follow-up, Luca, um, on the June quarter guide, when you talk about the sequential decline being a little bit uh, about perhaps the 13% or low teens percent that we've seen historically, uh, are are the supply constraints of the 3-4 billion impact included in that, or is that in addition to um, sort of the, the more than average sequential decline that, that you're referring to? And, and any color on what specifically is driving the supply constraints at the, the subcomponent level? Thank you. The, uh, yeah, so when you look at our normal seasonality, and you, you mentioned a percentage there that is really an average of several years, what we're saying is that, you know, we believe that the sequential decline this year is going to be higher than that. And it's a combination of the two factors, right? One is the timing of the launch and the, the very high demand of, for iPhone during the March quarter and the 3 to $4 billion supply constraints that, that we mentioned. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and you know, you know the, the, the constraints come from the semiconductor shortages that are affecting, you know, many, many industries. And, and, uh, and it's a combination of, the sh- you know, the shortages as well as the very, very high level of demand that we are seeing for both iPad and Mac. For Mac, for example, if you just, just to keep it into context, the last three quarters of Mac have been the, the best three quarters ever in the history of the product, right? So we are experiencing an incredible level of demand, which certainly is favored by the working from home and learning from home environment, but also by the incredible amount of new products and innovation that we put into the products that we launched during the last uh, couple of quarters. Thank you, Luca. Thanks, Wamzi. Can we have the next question, please? Absolutely. We'll take our next question from Aaron Rakers with Wells Fargo. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the question, and congratulations on a great quarter. I wanted to go back to iPhone. You know, as we think about the iPhone 12 cycle, appreciating that you guys don't give actual shipment numbers. It would appear, though, that the mix has been quite healthy. So I'm wondering if you could give us any context of what in this cycle you're seeing in terms of the mix relative to past cycles. Is that that mix sustainable? I'm just trying to understand kind of, you know, the mix of the within the iPhones and and how that's driving, I guess, particularly gross margin. And I have a follow-up. Aaron, let me give you a little color on that. The iPhone 12 of the iPhone 12 uh, family or or, or more broadly affect uh, all iPhones, the iPhone 12 is the most popular. Uh, but we did see very strong sales of the of the Pro portion of the family as well, the Pro plus the Pro Max. And and so the the revenue uh, that you're seeing is a function of unit growth and uh, revenue uh, revenue per unit growth. Does that help? Yeah, that, that help. Can, can you give any context of how that might have changed this cycle relative to the prior cycles? Have we seen kind of a structural change to the higher bands of the product category that you believe can be sustained going forward? Uh, you know, we don't predict uh, going forward uh, other than for our own, own internal use. Uh, but uh, we're really happy with the with the results. Okay. And then as, as a quick follow-up back to the supply constraints, I, I guess it's hard to kind of see 
you know, again, looking forward beyond this quarter, but, but what's your best assessment of, of when maybe the supply constraints could ease? Do you have any views of, you know, just the industry in general uh, overcoming some of the supply constraint dynamics? Most of uh, our issue is on legacy nodes. And so in, on legacy nodes, uh, there are many different people, not only in the same industry, but across other industries that are using legacy nodes. Uh, and so in order to really answer that question uh, on an, uh, accurately, we would need to know the, the true demand from each of these players and how that's going to change over the next few months. And so it's, it's very, very difficult to, to give you a good answer. I think we have a good handle on our demand, uh, but, you know, what, what everybody else is doing, I, I don't know. And so we will, we will do our best. That's what I can tell you. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Can we have our next question, please? Thank you. We'll take our next question from Harsh Kumar with Piper Sandler. Yeah, hey, guys. Congratulations on a very nice quarter. Um, question on, on semi-supply as well. You just uh, beat by a substantial margin on the top line in the March quarter. I'm curious what went in your favor to be able to secure that kind of uh, supply that, that, that you were able to beat by, I think it was $11 million or so, and then I had a follow-up. Uh, we did not have a material supply shortage in Q2. And, and so how were we able to do that? You, you wind up uh, collapsing all of your uh, buffers and offsets. And uh, that, th that happens all the way through the supply chain. And so that enables you to go a bit higher than, than uh, what we were expecting to sell when we went into the quarter 90 days ago. That, that's very helpful. Um, and then for my follow-up, um, I know there's a lot of moving parts, Tim, but uh, with the economy sort of reopening here in the U.S., and you mentioned about supply constraints possibly on the Mac and the iPad, I was curious if I could get your thoughts, maybe just color-wise, on what you would expect for, for th those two categories, Macs and the iPads, in the second half of this year. Well, we don't, you know, we don't predict uh, our, our guide to uh... – to product level detail. We're not even guiding to the top level at this point because of COVID. And, and so I'll sidestep that, that question, but, but I would uh, point to the Lucas' point earlier about the shortages, and those shortages primarily affect iPad and Mac. So we expect to be supply-gated, uh, not demand-gated. Thank you, Harsh. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. We'll take our next question from Krish Sankar with Cowan and Company. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my question and congrats on a fantastic quarter. Uh, first question for Tim or Luca. The Greater China sales are very strong in the March quarter. Can you give some color on what drove the strength? Which hardware products or services enabled the solid outperformance in China? And then add a follow up. We were very pleased with our performance in China. Uh, we set a March quarter revenue record and grew strong double digits across each of the product categories. And so the, the revenue growth was broad. 
we've been uh, especially pleased by the customer response in China to the iPhone 12 family. Uh, and as I had mentioned earlier, you have to remember that China entered the shutdown phase earlier in Q2 of last year than, than other uh, countries, and so they were relatively more affected in that quarter. Uh, and that has to be taken into account as you, as you look at the results. Uh, as I had mentioned earlier, we had the top two selling smartphones in urban China, so we're, we're very proud of that. And, uh, you know, iPad, Mac, both had enormously uh, positive quarters with great strength across the board. And we're seeing uh, a strong reception to the new uh, iPad Pro as well that we that we just announced. There are a lot of a, a lot of uh, great comments. And about two thirds of the people buying Mac and iPad were were buying them for the first time. And so we're we're attracting some new customers in in China, which is really important to us. Got it. Very helpful, Tim. And then maybe as a follow-up, I kind of had like a big-picture philosophical question, and to the extent you can answer this, you know, one of the concerns many investors have is about the overhang of regulatory risks. And I understand it's very hard to handicap that, but I'm kind of curious, do you think giving more public disclosure on your services business like App Store uh, would help alleviate some of those concerns, or do you think that revealing a lot of competitive details would kind of curious to know what you think on, you know, Services disclosure. Uh, I think with uh, the re regulatory questions and scrutiny, uh, we have to make sure that we're uh, telling our story and why we do what we do, and and we're very focused on on uh, doing that. If we feel that more disclosure would help, we would obviously move in that in that direction. Uh, the the App Store and other parts of Apple are not cast in concrete, and so we can and move and are flexible with the times. For example, on the App Store, as you know, uh, just a, a couple of quarters ago, we lowered the, um, uh, the, the commission rate for small developers to 15%. So that was an example of moving with the, with the times, and, and we've gotten a great, great reception to that. And so... Uh, you know, we, we continue to, to learn, and, and I think it's very important that, we, that we're very clear about why we do what we do. Uh, the, the idea behind uh, curating uh, the App Store in order to get the privacy and security that our customers want, I, I think, is, is very important, and, and we have to convey that in a very straightforward manner. Very helpful. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Thank you. Can we have the next question, please? Absolutely. We'll take our next question from Kyle McNeely with Jefferies. Hi. Thanks a lot for the question. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things we've been positive about is how growing iPhone sales can pull along watch and AirPods sales as well as customers shop the whole store. But you mentioned through COVID that accessories do much better in a physical store environment, and that's been hard uh, due to the shutdowns, obviously. So uh, my question is, have you seen any improvement in the attach rate for watch and AirPods with iPhone, and can it get a lot better from here as the environment gets closer to normalization? I think we get a lot of benefit from our stores. 
when they're open and and are fully operational and and you know we we're in better shape uh, for parts of Q2 than we were previously, um, but you know we're still operating with a limited operational model in in many stores, and there's still some stores today that are closed, like stores in Michigan and stores in France and and so forth. And so I I think it will take some amount of time, but my my view would be as as the stores get back up to to speed, fully up to speed, uh, there we should be able to uh, increase some of the accessory sales. Although I think we're doing fairly well at, at the moment, so it's not something that we're that we're not that we're not doing well. Online has been much more uh, beneficial and much more productive than we would have guessed going into this. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Can we have the next question, please? Take our next question. Absolutely. We'll take our next question from David Voigt from UBS. Great. Thanks, guys, and congratulations on a good quarter. Maybe if I could just ask a, a question. I know it's early days, but any commentary, color from maybe the developer community on app track on uh, ATT and kind of what the initial feedback and data might look like that you can share with us? Thanks. You know, our ATT's focus is is really on the user and giving the user the ability to make a decision about whether they uh, want to be tracked or not. And so it's putting the user in the control, not not Apple, not another company, but the, the user of, of where it should be. And so that that's really the focus of it and the feedback that we've gotten from users both before uh, it went live when it was in the planning stages and so forth, and after has been tremendous. And so uh, we're we're really uh, standing up on behalf of the consumer here. Maybe just as a quick follow-up, Tim, can you kind of discuss you know any sort of uh, you know what the downloads have looked like? I know we just rolled out earlier this week, and sort of the acceptance by the consumer at this point. Any sort of metrics that you can share with us, whether it's sort of an opt-in or opt-out sort of view from the consumer perspective? I, I don't even know the answer to that. It's not something that uh, we would have predicted beforehand. Uh, and, and frankly, even if it's very low of people that don't want to be tracked, it's worth doing because of the those people should have the should make their own mind up whether they would like to be tracked or not. Great, thanks. Thanks. Can we have the next question, please? Absolutely. We'll take our next question from Samic Chatterjee from J.P. Morgan. Hi. Uh, thanks for uh, the question. I have a couple, and um, just wanted to get into the uh, performance by geography here a bit and. Europe really exceptional results, particularly for this time of the year. Um, Tim, I know you mentioned some of the 5G iPhone upgrades are in front of you, and I would assume Europe's kind of in that category. But curious to hear, or maybe if you can double click on what's driving the exceptional growth here in uh, in Europe, and um, like, are we are consumers moving to 5G phones, even though some of the service provider plans are not rolled out, or uh, are we still expecting that to be much more in front of us? Isamik, um, I'll, I'll take that one. Uh, you're right. I mean, we had uh, great performance in Europe. We grew 56% uh, 
during the quarter. And it was probably one of the geos where we actually saw, you know, results that were better than even our own expectations. We, we grew very strong double digits across the board, every product category, particularly, I would say, iPad and Mac. Uh, you know, they, they, they really were very, very strong. Uh, again, obviously Europe has been affected by lockdowns. Uh, more than most parts of the world, uh, the lockdowns have lasted longer than here in the United States, for example. Tim was mentioning there are places in Europe still today where our stores are closed. Unfortunately, we have a very strong online business that has really helped us. But working from home, uh, learning from home, you know, limited entertainment options, uh, that has all played in our favor. Keep in mind that our Europe segment is a very broad version of Europe because it includes you know, Western Europe, which has done very, very well, and then uh, Eastern Europe, and it goes into the Middle East. Even India is part of Europe, and those emerging markets have done incredibly well, significantly better than company average, so very, very pleased with uh, uh, some of the results in India, for example, Russia, uh, Middle East in general. So it's, it's been very broad, both across the product categories and across countries uh, in, in Europe. Got it, got it. And just a quick follow-up for you, Luca. I think um, overall just wanted to understand the implication of the investment plans that you um, plans that you announced recently for the U.S. the 430 billion over of multi-year period. Uh, getting some questions from investors of how to think about the implication on the run rate of operating expenses for the company. If you remember, we uh, announced back in 2018 that we were making a very sizable commitment to the United States. We, at the time, we announced $350 billion of investment over the following five years. And, you know, during these three years since then, we've overachieved on those commitments and we felt it was the right time to update uh, these type of investments. And they span from Obviously, the investment that we make directly uh, at Apple, uh, for example, you know, we talked about the creation of 20,000 new jobs at Apple over the next five years in the United States. And, of course, our business has grown. And so our commitment, for example, to U.S. suppliers grows over time, and that, you know, sh shows in the, in the higher numbers. In the meantime, we've got into new businesses, for example, Apple TV+. Plus. A lot of the content that we developed for our TV service is uh, produced here in the United States, and so that's additional um, additional investment here in the in the United States. From an OPEX standpoint, uh, I think as you've seen this year, we're getting a lot of leverage. This is one of those years, you know, we said many times, you know, sometimes our OPEX grows faster than revenue, and there are some other cycles where the opposite happens. So we are growing revenue this year much faster than our OPEX increase, but we want to continue to make all the necessary investments into the business. We will never underinvest in our business, and so you will continue to see the, the fact that we, we will continue to grow uh, our operating expenses, particularly on the R&D side, which continues to be the core of the company. Thank you. Thank you, Samik.
A replay of today's call will be available for two weeks on Apple Podcasts as a webcast on apple.com slash investor and via telephone. The numbers for the telephone replay are 888-203-1112 or 719-457-0820. Please enter confirmation code 5799138. These replays will be available by approximately 5 p.m. Pacific time today. Members of the press with additional questions can contact Kristen Huguet at 408 974-2414. Financial analysts can contact me with additional questions at 669-227-2402. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. That does conclude today's Apple Q2 FY 2021 earnings conference call. We thank you for your participation, and you may now disconnect.